today's scripture reading is 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 10. Again, that's 2 Peter 3, 1 through 10. If you're using the Blue Pew Bible in front of you, the passage can be found on page 1019. Please stand with me as we worship the Lord through the reading of his word. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Let me continue and pray for us as we uh, get into the word. God, I just pray right now that your spirit will come, uh, speak a louder word than what's about to be heard, speak a more powerful message than what's about to be heard, uh, that, you would sp- that you would speak uh, a message that transforms us and changes us uh, and moves us, moves us to live because you are a king. So God, I just pray that you would be here in these moments. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, we transferred Astrid over to, uh, from the crib and onto a regular bed. And um, it wasn't our plan to do this early. Um, but when we got to English retreat, she threw up the first night. And we're like, all right, we're going home. And uh, so like, I decided to, we decided to put her on the bed early, and I would sleep next to her in case she was throwing up, and, um, and she would that night. And so, but after that night, uh, we just decided to keep her on the bed. We're like, all right, we'll just, we'll just move her to the bed early. We had decided, hey, we're going to do it after the musical, and uh, we're like, well, it's, it's just a few weeks away. Let's just do it now. And um, so, so I like my sleep, though. Uh, I like my sleep, and because she's in a regular bed, she's not confined to that crib anymore. Um, and I like my sleep, and so we went with the plan, the strategy of, hey, you stay in bed until you see 
purple on your little sound machine. And so I don't know if some of y'all did that strategy, that plan. Um, so, you know, we set a timer. Like, even if she wakes up at, like, 6 o'clock, she can't get out to, like, 7.45 until it turns purple. And that was the plan, right? Um, I, I think she doesn't wait that long. Uh, she actually probably waits only, like, 10, 20 minutes. Um, um, but that was, it was going well. It was going well for a few weeks until the time changed. All right, so instead of waking up at 7, 7.30, she wakes up at like 6, 6.30. I'm like, oh, no, what's going to happen? And so she's naturally waking up early, and, um, and the light doesn't turn purple for a while, right? I didn't change it, you know, I didn't move the time because I'm still sleeping in until 7.30, you know. Um, but what happens is she's just sitting in bed, and she's like, ba-ba, ba-ba, ba-ba. And then she's my alarm clock now. I don't even have to set an alarm. Um, and we'll see. We'll hear her try to get out of bed and like do the like turn the knob and like even like this morning she's like, oh purple please, oh purple please. I'm like, it's not Christmas yet. Yeah, you're waiting for after Thanksgiving, you know. But I don't even know how she knows the song. But anyways, she made that up. She was like, turn purple please, and um, cutest thing ever. Um, but so when I go when we when but before you know a few weeks ago I went to go get her. And I was like, hey, what's wrong? Of course, I knew what was wrong. She's like, but she goes, I waited too long, you know. And, and for some reason, she's saying that, Lord, I don't want to. She's saying no more. She's like, I don't want to wait. And, like, you know, Christine's making pancakes and, you know, still cooking. It's like, like one minute till it's finished. And she's like, I don't want to wait any longer. I want pancakes now. And so we tell her, you got to learn patience, you know. Um, you know, get, be patient, be patient. It's, so, it's almost, it's okay. And then, um, I, I don't know. I don't know how well we're doing and teaching her patience, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, um, so we started, started a new series last week on the meditation, meditating on the attributes of God. And Pastor Henry preached on God is good. Uh, so today we're focusing on, as you guessed, God is patient. And so when we think of God being patient, though, it, it's, it's not just about God waiting a long period of time, right? Uh, he, he's not like the three-year-old waiting patiently for food. Um, but when it comes to God being patient, um, I want us to think about, um, it's about God showing kindness, uh, if you think about in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Or another way to think about patience as we meditate on God being patient, uh, I want to go back to Pastor Henry's passage from last week, uh, Psalm 145, verse 8. It says, The Lord is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So God is slow to anger and kind and merciful. And so this is this is what we're going to meditate on as we as we uh, as we talk about God being patient in here today. So through our passage in Second Peter, uh, we'll, we'll we'll see two things about God being patient. Uh, and, and we'll see his his endurance and patience, and then we'll also see his heart and patience. And then at the end, we'll talk about one thing about our response to God's patience. And so uh, if you turn with me to, if you're, you're probably still there, hopefully you're still there, Second Peter chapter 3. Uh, let's just look at the first few verses here. Uh, I'm going to kind of read through the first few verses. Uh, it says in, in verse 1, Now, this is the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. 
And both of them, I am stirring up your, your sincere mind by way of reminder. And he's reminding them of this, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that the scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of this coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5 says, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water through the water of the word and that the, by the means of the world that then, that then existed was deluged with water and perished. And so I want us to just kind of stop there and kind of think about this and look at this for a second. Um, and so it, it, even in verse 8, as we kind of look at the end of that little passage, uh, it shows us what I kind of mentioned earlier in verse 8. It says, but do not overlook the fact, beloved, that with the Lord, with one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. So again, patience is not about how long God it has to wait. Because why? Because God's, he, he operates, he doesn't operate in the same way we does. He's, he's outside of time. So again, it's not about how long God has to wait but rather it's about how much God has to endure when he deals with sinners. And so we'll see how much he has to endure when he deals with sinners. It's the long suffering that God goes through that we're kind of meditating on today. And so, you know what? It finally, I want you, I want you, I want, you know, it finally happened. Astrid finally pooped in the potty on Friday at school. I was so happy, so relieved. Um, I, I, she's been, we, she's potty trained, but then she doesn't want to poop in the potty, and she poops in her diaper, right? And so I was so excited. I was so relieved on Friday when I picked her up from school, and then the teacher's like, she pooped in a potty. I was like, what? Like, how? Why? Like, how did, how did it happen? Did she cry? And then, you know, here's the thing, though. I was so excited and relieved. I was like, no more long-suffering and changing diapers, right? No more. Her, her poops are always so soft, and it goes everywhere. It's the worst. And then it stinks up the whole house, right? Um, so I'm like, oh, no more. I, like, I don't have to endure long-suffering anymore, right? Um, and sadly, yesterday when she wanted to poop, she looks at me funny. She knew it. She smirks and goes, I want my diaper. Oh, right? So I got a long suffering. I got to endure it more. Um, but the thing is, here's this. God deals with so much more than just dirty diapers, right? He deals with sinners. He deals with sinners. And, 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 and you know, again, like when we hear the word sin and we think of sinners, we, like, sometimes we think of like, oh, sin, it just deserves a little slap on the wrist, right? Or you think about like, oh, like I don't know about you. When I, when I grew up, I had to go sit and face the wall, right? When you got punished, anyone do that? Sit and face the wall with their hands raised high. Um, that, that's kind of what we think of when we think of bad things happen. Oh, you're wrong. You're sinful. Oh, just go sit. Time out for five minutes. But in God's patience, when he deals, so he, not only does he put up with us, but he, he puts up and he shows kindness and mercy to the sinner. But I want us to think about what this means when God puts up and shows patience to the sinner. It's one thing, uh, one thing we see, God's kindness and mercy, it shouldn't make any sense. It should not make any sense because if we look in these verses, God, he's dealing, with, he's dealing with scoffers. He's dealing with these scoffers, and they ridicule the people of God. Right? And, and ultimately, 
what, what these scoffers, these scoff, he's ultimately dealing with these scoffers because they, these scoffers, they hate God. They hate God and they want nothing to do with God. They scoff at the promise of God here. We look at that. They, they scoff at the promise of God, uh, of the Lord's return. They're arguing that because they, what they say, the scoffers go, hey, because everything is the same. Nothing has to happen. You know, God is not coming to intervene in this world. He's not going to do what he says. And so what these people say is what? They say, hey, your God is your God's just fake. And when I say fake, I don't mean that he doesn't exist. But when I say fake, he, he's just a liar. He's flaky. He's not a good God to be trusted. And that's what these scoffers say. And, and what we see here, uh, even, uh, if you go even deeper, what he says is it, it, it's a blatant rejection of who God is. The text, the text says that they deliberately overlooked this fact. The people, the, pe- the, people um, the people, they blatantly reject God. The people, they know God exists, but they consciously make the effort to reject him. And so this is why God is so good. And this is why his patience should not, should not make any sense to us. Because God deliberately loves a people who deliberately rejects him. He loves his enemies. And when we say sin and sinners, that means we don't just, just not something, someone who does something wrong. But when we say sinner, it is he loves his enemies. And he shows them how patient he is with them by showing his kindness and mercy to them. And I want to say this. I want to say this. I just said that God loves his enemies and he shows kindness to them. And it's easy to think that this is a us versus them. Oh, us and versus sinners. But we need not to forget that if it wasn't for Christ, that we would still stand as enemies of God. If it wasn't because of Christ, if it wasn't because of Christ, then we would be an enemy of God. Because again, we don't have we have to think of sin as not something that we that we do and deserve a slap on the wrist. It's too little to think of sin like that. Usually you think of sin as just kind of missing the mark, right? Kind of like you think of, we think of the archery example. Okay, you try to shoot for the, the, the bullseye and you miss, and that's kind of sin. You're missing the mark. But rather, again, I think it's been said in here, maybe it was Pastor Jason, it's, it's the idea of the, the target's over there, but you, you, you're, you're turning the other way. You're turning the other way, and you're, you're pointing that arrow at God. Like, like, like sin makes us enemies, and so, so as enemies, you're, you're, you're not wearing the same jersey as, uh, as uh, being on the same team with God. Rather, you're, you're, you're wearing the opponent's jersey. So sin, sin is not just something that deserves a slap on the wrist, but rather sin is rebellion. Sin is rebellion. It is saying, I want your throne, God. I know better than you, God. I, I think Chandler puts it this way, uh, but he says, sin makes us glory thieves. Like, you ever think about that? Like, you, you want glory for yourself, and you're trying to steal that from God every single day. You're a glory thief. That's crazy to think about. You can't expect to walk in a lion's den and take its food and expect to walk out alive. You are not, if you are not under Christ in here, and if you're not in a Christ and, and believe that he has not saved you from your sin, then you might, you know, I, I want to say this. Right? If you're not in Christ in here, 
and you still believe, you know, like, I don't know about this Jesus person. You might be a good person in here, but you still sit as an enemy of God. Like, if you're not, if you're not under Christ, if you're not a Christian in here, I want, you, I want you to hear this. You might be great at loving people. You might be great at loving your family. You might be great at providing for your family, and you work hard, and you do great things. But you still stand before God as one of his enemies. If you're not a Christian in here, you might sacrifice, and you might give a whole bunch of your time and serve and volunteer, and you, 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 you give. You give it your time, you give it your money, and these are great things. These are good things, and you, you, you serve the poor, but the thing is, you still reject God's goodness. And you still reject God's mercy that he desires to show to you. So I plead with you in here. If you don't believe in Jesus, I plead with you to consider his kindness. To consider the kindness that God is showing you through his son Jesus. It's because of his kindness that you would draw near to him. It's because of his kindness that, that, that you would see that he loves you even though you stand as an enemy of his. God has been so patient with you. He's been so patient with you as you reject him and he calls you to come. He calls you to come to be reconciled. So my plea with you is to, to stop running and run towards him. But not only towards is God's kindness towards the unbeliever and, and non-Christian in here, but it's, but it's, it's for us as believers in here too. Just because you in here become a believer doesn't mean, you doesn't mean that you don't deliberately disobey God anymore. Because just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean you consciously well, you know, walk away from your sin all the time. I, I, I'm sure you can think of a few times this week where you deliberately and consciously walked against the will of God this week. Like, as I'm preaching on the, the patience of God, do you know how many times I lost my patience this week? It was crazy, right? Like, Lost my patience with everyone. Like, God, are you, God, God, are you kidding me? Like, you're, you're still patient with me when I'm patient with nobody in my life? And God's patience towards us leads us to repentance. He is slow to anger when it comes to dealing with you as you delay in your repentance. And that's his heart. That's his heart. And so let's consider this more as we continue on. This is his heart, God's heart and his patience. And so let's read on in verse 8. I want to see verse 8 again. It says, but do not overlook this fact, believers, that the one day with the Lord is a thousand years and thousand years as one. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. He is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should, that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then as the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and his works that are done in it will be exposed. And in verse 11, let's keep reading. It says, since all these things are thus, thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will not be set on fire and dissolve, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But accordingly, his promises are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
And so one of the main things Peter is trying to encourage his reader here again, right? The scoffers are going, God's not coming. God, Jesus is not coming back. His promises aren't true. So, so, so Peter is trying to encourage his readers, hey, hey, stand firm in the midst of scoffers. And so he wants them, he, he wants them to go, hey, um, uh, he's saying one thing, you know, um, he's saying stand firm in the promises of God. Um, again, he's saying God is outside of time. Uh, just because we've waited for generations and generations, uh, it doesn't mean God's inaction doesn't mean um, doesn't mean He's uh, you know he, He's not going to come. Uh, but rather, but secondly, what we see here is God is delaying the fulfillment of His predictions for our sake. So in our whole Bible, right? Our whole Bible. If you guys realize this, in our whole Bible, there's only four chapters where everything is right. Well, there was only four chapters. In the beginning, it was, it was good, and at the end, it was good. It's only four chapters, two at the beginning, two at the end. And the whole Bible is trying to get back to the beginning. And the whole Bible is trying to get back to the beginning of chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we'll kind of talk more about that in our next point. But Peter also follows, he follows along in his, in his, uh, in his arguments and, and what he's trying to say. Uh, in verse 10 though, in verse 10 what he says that what's going to happen later on at the end of the Bible, what's going to happen is, is verse 10 he says the day of the Lord will come, the end of the Bible will come, but it will come like a thief in the night. And it will come like a thief and everything will be exposed. And so judgment is coming and it can happen at any time. But we just don't know when. And I want you all to think about this. I want you all to consider this right now. Ten seconds from now, it can be too late. Tomorrow, it can be too late. The end is coming and in the blink of an eye, it can be too late. And at one moment, it will not be too late, and the next, it'll be too late. And at any moment, it's going to be too late. At any moment, it's going to be too late for our friends. At any moment, it's going to be too late for our families. It'll be too late for them because they don't know Christ. And so we plead with God, please be patient. Please. Wait, please show mercy. Please delay and show your mercy. And we plead with God to wait, and that's what God is doing. And that's what God is doing. He, he, he is waiting, and he has a desire to endure. He has his desire to endure the sinners, and he, is, he, he, he has a desire to endure more long-suffering. And every moment that he gives us is another moment that he shows us long-suffering kindness. And God's heart is to show mercy to those who repent. I want us to see that. I want us to see God's heart wanting to show mercy. Because if God was a God of the cancel culture, then we'd all be done now. If God was a God of the cancel culture, we'd all be done right now. And in the world, in our culture today, in our world today, you can, you can say and believe one thing and you're done. You can say one thing and you can believe one thing, you're boycotted. You can, you, you'll be publicly shamed. Cancel culture is tough these days, right? Say one thing, you're a bigot. Tweet something wrong and, and, and people that disagree with you, your product is banned. We're, we're so used to that if you don't agree with me, and if you don't agree with me and my ideology, 
then, then we seem to demonize people, don't we? Uh, we? We see this happening to Christians, but at the same time, Christians do this to others, don't we? We cancel others, we demonize people. And I, I, don't put, I don't put blame on the world out there when they cancel people. But if a Christian does it, though, if a Christian does it, if we begin to cancel and demonize people and, and put them aside, I, I think we need to meditate on God being patient. I, I saw a post this week. I saw a post this week of a guy holding a book. And the book and the title was, um, I think, it, I don't remember the exact title, but the, but, but the title of the book was something like, In My Daddy's Womb. So you can know what that's about. But in the, on, in the comments, though, in the comments, you know what I saw? Which is a bunch of people going, disgusting, disgusting, evil. Like, like these, these, were, these were people literally demonizing these, these, this person for holding up a book. Again, I'm not saying I agree with the book. But as Christians, we don't demonize people. We don't demonize people. We don't cancel people, guys. When we do, there's not an ounce of God's patience within us if we cancel people like that. Because why? Because God's patience is shown to those people who long to show mercy to. And so, so they might be, because why? They're, they're enemies, they're, they might be enemies with God. They don't agree with God. They scoff at God. They don't want nothing to do with God. They don't believe about anything with God. But what, they, what we know is God desires and loves them and longs to save them. God desires to save those who believe something totally different from us. God desires to save those who have totally different political views from us. Who, to, who look totally different from us. God desires to save those who has had abortions. God desires to save those who live together with their same-sex partners. I say these things, why? Because usually Christians demonize these people. He doesn't condone the things that people do, but also he doesn't demonize them. He doesn't condone these things with people, but he does desire to show kindness and show mercy towards them. And so God's slowness, God's slowness in bringing final judgment is for his mercy to be felt by all those who have never experienced it and never experienced it and, never, and don't, don't, don't hold to it right now and, and who, who currently need it. So in God's mercy, in, in God's slowness, in God's delay is more mercy for all his enemies who decide to repent. And this is where you and I step in right now. And this is where you and I step in, at least our last point. Our last point is our response to God's patience. So read with me. Uh, we're going to move on in, in verses 11 through 13. It says, 11, 11 says, since all these things are thus to be resolved, what sort of people ought you, uh, ought you to be in, li in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So I mentioned before, our goal is the end of the Bible. This is our goal as believers. Our goal is the end of the Bible. Revelation 21 and 22 to come. 
And so we, we as believers are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that was huge. Like in the verse 13, new heaven, new earth in which righteousness dwells. And I heard this week that sometimes we always think about, you know, it's about man going to dwell with God. Oh, when I pass and I go, I go, I go you know, we, we will go with God. But what we see here is, uh, I heard this week, the guy, um, I think it was right, he was saying, you know, after we die, um, really the story, actually the story of the Bible is about God coming and dwelling with man. And, and uh, it says, when dealing with man, when the earth is made new and to have our lives here on earth. And so God himself will be, uh, be with them as their God. And that's what, that's what we're looking for. And God will be God who wipes away every tear. Um, God will be the God um, where death shall be no more in Revelation, right? Where he wipes away every tear. Uh, tears no more and death shall be no more. Neither else shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. And the former things have passed away. And we wait for God to bring this in a new creation. And we wait for God to be in this new creation. And also, as we wait, what does he say? He, Peter says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Um, the goal of Christian life is not just to live a good enough life so that we can end up going to heaven. But holiness and godliness is, is more, than, more than just about being morally good people. But I want you all to think about this. Right, the bowls and the utensils in the Old Testament, they were considered holy. They were considered holy. But how is a spoon supposed to be morally good? Doesn't make any sense. How is a bowl supposed to be morally good? And, and so that's not what it means when we think of holiness and godliness. But for the utensil to be considered holy means that it was set apart. It was set apart for a certain purpose, and that is us. That is us. And so holiness and godliness has to do with us being, uh, as, as Wright would say, the church is supposed to be a small working model of the new creation. That's what we are. We're supposed to be a sign to everyone around us that God attends, what God intends to do for the new creation. So when, when we're supposed to be a sign of what, what, happens, what happens, what is to come. We're supposed to be a sign of no more tears and no more mourning and, and, and pain is to be washed away. Like that's supposed to be us, a sign of things to come. And we're supposed to be a sign of things where Jesus is our king and, has, and as he dwells with us, that God dwells with us and he is our king and he is our Lord. And where he makes all things right and makes all things new. And we as a church are supposed to be a sign for that. And that's within us. I want us to see this. If we read Romans chapter 8, if you're familiar with Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, 22, I'll read this for you. For it says, if we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemptions of our body. I want you all to hear this. There's a longing within us. There's a longing inside of you to see things made right around you. There should be a desire within us to see the brokenness of the world, uh, to see the brokenness of the world and want something to do with it. And want something to do, and wants, want to do something about it. 
you know, a few months ago, a few months ago uh, in the youth, we, we, we started a series on, uh, a series called uh, Deconstructing Deconstruction. Um, and, then we, and, and I brought up this example of a guy, uh, he was a pretty well-known author uh, he, who had left the faith. Um, and so I went to kind of check him out and what he's doing these days. And it was really interesting because on, on this guy's website, um, I, I, I saw some things that he's trying to do now. And I saw the things that he hopes to do through some of his new business adventures. Um, and all the things that I saw, he, he, he talks about wanting healthier communities, um, he talks about uh, he wanting to find ideas to reshape the world, and I'm, I'm assuming that you want to reshape the world because you think it's broken and want something, you know, want it to be different. Um, and he, he's, he's like, he says that he has a company uh, building up, uh, that is building systems to regenerate the planet. Um, he's lead, he leads cohorts to find world-changing ideas. Um, and these are all good things. Again, all good things. But the thing is, he's doing these things without Jesus now. He's doing all these things without Jesus. But within him, like even though he's left the faith, he still has a desire to make the world a better place. He still has a longing to go, there's something wrong in this world. Like he still goes, hey, there's something wrong in this world and we got to do something to make it better. We got we to gotta, we gotta do, do something to make it right. And, and that, that longing is within every one of us. That longing to go, there's brokenness, there's darkness in the world, and we got to do something to make it right. It's totally Romans 8, this guy is living out. All of creation is groaning. All of creation is groaning and waiting for the new creation to come. In Matthew chapter 5, and we, we recited this earlier when we recited the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 6, what does it say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. And that's us, right? We, we thirst for right relationships. We thirst, we thirst for things to be right. For right relationships between family members and friends and relationships between, uh, between people and God. And, and so we, we, we thirst and hunger for right relationships. And that's all of us. And what happens when these right relationships happen? It's so satisfying, is it not? Like when you reconcile with a family member, when you reconcile with friends, isn't it so satisfying? Go, this is the way it should be. Like because when you're fighting with someone and when you, when you have uh, beef with someone, isn't it just like, man, I wish things were right? Or like it just, it just didn't seem right. But once we have these right relationships, when, right, when we thirst for righteousness, we will be satisfied. We shall be satisfied when righteousness comes. We are to be a kingdom community, guys. We, are, we here as a church, we're, we're supposed to reflect the new heavens and the new earth that is to come. Our lives are, are, are not about being saved and getting ready to go to heaven, but about our life is a life that is supposed to be ready for Jesus to come back. Verse 11, verse 12, you guys read this again. It says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, then what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Waiting for and hastening. Lives of holiness and godliness is waiting, waiting and hastening. Because, because we're set apart for a purpose of new creation, then we live lives of eagerness. We live lives of eagerness to bring this new creation here. 
And that's why Peter is saying, hasten, waiting and hastening. We, we wait for Jesus to finally come back, but we live with urgency as we wait. We wait for the thief in the night. We wait with urgency. We stay up and we're prepared. And I want to ask you guys this, though. I want to bring this to your mind. If we don't live to bring others into this kingdom, then what are we doing here? If we don't live to bring others into the kingdom, then what are we doing here? If you and I, if we aren't going after the darkness and brokenness in the world and, and trying to heal and bring restoration, then what's the point of being a Christian? Again, the point of Christianity is not just to be good and go to heaven. But you and I, we're groaning for creation, uh, for, for new creation to come. You know, I, I was going to say there's no greater purpose. But I would go and say as far as there's no other purpose that we have in life. There's no other purpose that we have in life than to bring the new creation here. We really have no other purpose. God says, holy, you're set apart for my purposes. Reflect new creation as you wait. And I don't know what this looks like for you. And I don't, have, I don't really have an applica application or different things that you guys can do, a list of things that you should do. Uh, I, just, I just have one thing, and I just say, get yourself out of the way. Get out of the way of what God has set apart for you to do. Just get yourself out the way. What do you need to move aside to, to, to let God's purpose reign in your heart? What do you need to move aside? What do you need to put aside and go, okay, I, I, I've been so focused on this, I, I just need to remember my purpose, new creation. It, it's not better schooling. It's not a better job. Those things will lead and help you get to that new creation, though. But keep that first and foremost, new creation. New creation. Because why? Because I can give you things, of things a list of things to apply and things for you to do. But if, if your heart still wants your own little kingdom to be built, then it doesn't matter. Because, because you, you see, it doesn't matter if we don't desire new creation. So it is, it is God. It is God in his patience. It is in his patience God is longing to show his kingdom, his, to his new kingdom to come. In his patience he is longing to show his kindness and mercy. In this, in this patience God is longing to show mercy to people, uh, to, the, to the people and communities around us. And so we're, we, we are to be the ones, we are going to be the ones to extend the kindness and mercy of God. We're supposed to be the ones who extend the God's patience to around us. So we as a church, we as a church need to be the picture of the new creation. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would help us see um, your heart for the lost. But would you help us to see your patience towards us? Would you help us to see that your kindness towards us in life and how you have shown us mercy, that you have shown us kindness, and that you have been patient with us. And that you have saved us in your kindness and mercy. And that you long to show others around us that same kindness and that same mercy. Would you help us to do that? 
Would you help us to be a church, a church that brings in your new creation here today? Would you help us to live for the communities around us? Would you help us to live to bring the light into the darkness and peace to the chaos in this world? Would you help us to show your patience to the world around us? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.